All right, we are in Isaiah chapter 22. At least we're going to be starting here in Isaiah 22 this morning. And verse 8, if you'd like to turn there. Isaiah 22, verse 8, says this. He removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forest. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You numbered the houses of Jerusalem. And the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to its maker. Nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. Verse 12. And in that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning. For baldness and for girding with sackcloth. But instead, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Then it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts, surely for this iniquity there, there will be no atonement for you, even to your death, says the Lord God of hosts. And I've entitled this message, Abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ is the title. Now, if you were here on Wednesday night, you know all about Isaiah 22 because we went through all of this um, here on Wednesday night. You can listen to it. It's up on our uh, YouTube and Facebook uh, pages and channels. Um, but just kind of as an overview, um, Isaiah the prophet was speaking to his people, to God's people, Judah, in Jerusalem. Uh, this was at the time of King Hezekiah, and it was likely at the time around 701 BC during the siege of Sennacherib when the Assyrian army had encompassed, 185,000 soldiers had encompassed the city of Jerusalem and was basically starving them out. It was a siege. They were being besieged and basically being starved out by their enemies. And Isaiah was uh, walking around looking at the people, the prophet of God, and the people were not mourning. The people were not fasting. The people were not seeking God. They were not humbling themselves and praying before the Lord, and their enemies were right at their doorstep. They were preparing so they'd have water. They were fortifying the walls of Jerusalem, and archaeology has proven all this out. When you go to the Holy Land, you'll see these things there. At this time, they did this as the Bible described it. And yet they were not seeking God. And the Lord was showing Isaiah what was going to come. Now, King Hezekiah did seek the Lord, and, and he was a good king. And in Isaiah chapter 37 and 38, we have the record of how he humbled himself before God. The king humbled himself before God. And God showed mercy to Judah, and God delivered them from their enemies. But there would be another time that would come that I believe... Uh, the Lord was showing the prophet the siege of Babylon that would come where they would not seek the Lord. They would not hear from the Lord. They had wicked kings at that time who thought that they could bail themselves out or that they could 
pay for another army, the Egyptians or some other force to come in and to fight against the Babylonians for them in 586 BC. And instead of seeking God, they uh, partied and they uh, decided we were going to eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. They had this fatalistic attitude. What does it matter? The enemy's going to conquer us anyways or, you know, uh, the Egyptians are going to come and deliver us. But they were not seeking their God. And Isaiah, as the prophet, his heart was broken for God's people. He says here, in that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and for mourning, for baldness, for girding with sackcloth, but instead joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating meat and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, they said. Then it was revealed in my hearing by the Lord of hosts, surely for this iniquity there will be no atonement for you even to your death, says the Lord God of hosts. And so they did not seek the Lord. And as a result, we realize that God removed his protective covering from Judah. Verse 8, he removed the protection of Judah. You looked in that day to the armor of the house of the forests. You also saw the damage to the city of David, that it was great. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. In other words, they were not looking to God. And so God removed his protective hand from them as a nation. And once God removed his protective hand from Judah as a nation, they were wiped out by their enemies. And instead of seeking God, they had a big party uh, like it was the end of the world, so we may as well live it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Like when the Titanic hit the iceberg, and they said, you know, drinks are on the house. Everything uh, is free. Come and eat and drink. Strike up the band, because there's not enough lifeboats to save everyone. May as well party uh, with the last minutes that you have before you go down uh, to the icy depths of the Atlantic Ocean. And so it is the wrong response from God's people. God's people should not be fatalistic. We should never give up hope that God is going to deliver us from our enemies. But we have to seek the Lord. We have to put him first. We have to humble ourselves before God. And as Christians, we're told that we must abide in Christ. We have to stay underneath that covering of Jesus Christ. He wants to protect us. He wants to preserve us. He wants to take care of us through thick and thin, no matter what happens to our nation, no matter what happens with uh, this inauguration in the next few days. Uh, there are major changes that are coming to our country, uh, I assure you, regardless of what happens on the 20th of January, and we need to be prepared for that. And depending on what powers are put in place at the federal level of our government, uh, we may face some very, very difficult days ahead uh, as the Church of Jesus Christ in America. But we don't have to fear what we have to do is seek God. We have to put God first, not putting our trust in man, not putting our trust in weapons or in the armor of the house of the forest, not putting our trust in our own ability to preserve ourselves and protect ourselves um, from our enemies, but abiding in Christ and crying out to him as his people. Now, we are in a spiritual battle right now, like really probably no time in our country's history uh, before now. We, we are literally more divided now as a nation than we have ever been before since right before the Civil War in 1861. 
Uh, this is what historians tell us. All, all you have to do is just kind of listen and pay attention. And you see people are hardened in one camp or another. And there's really no middle ground anymore. You're either on this side or you're on this side. And there is no budging. And so we have to understand that as God's people, uh, we must be those who uh, humble ourselves before God. We must be those who are praying for our nation, praying for our churches, praying for our people, praying for the little ones who are being raised in this time of chaos and uncertainty and fear and anxiety. Uh, we must be those who are seeking our God instead of being fatalistic, instead of trying to drown it all out with, with partying or eating and drinking uh, and, and being merry and entertaining ourselves so that we're just, you know, we're just drowning out what's really happening through entertainment or through drugs or through alcohol. I mean, people have so many things they turn to now as crutches to lean upon instead of seeking God. And I'm talking about not just outside the church. I'm talking about inside the church or those who would call themselves Christians uh, in our nation today. We are in a spiritual battle. This is a fight for the freedom uh, to practice our faith. This is a fight for the freedoms that were enshrined in our constitution. Uh, the freedom of assembly, the freedom of the free exercise of religion, the freedom of speech, all of these things that we take for granted are really at risk right now in our country like no time uh, since our founding, really. Uh, we are told in our constitution the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then it goes into the Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment, which is freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of the free exercise of religion, etc., freedom of the press. And all of those freedoms are under attack right now. And if you don't see that, I don't know what to tell you at this point. You have to open your eyes. We're not fatalistic. We're not going to say, que sera, sera, what will be, will be. We have a voice. We, we could take a stand. And rather than taking up physical weapons, as Judah was trying to do to prepare to defend themselves against an overwhelming army they never could have beat, we need to take up our spiritual weapons weeping and fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and abiding in Christ, sticking close to Jesus, closer now than we ever have before. Judah did not seek God. They did not humble themselves. They did not pray as they were instructed to do so uh, by God when God was talking to King Solomon, when Solomon dedicated the temple. Many of you know this from the National Day of Prayer, this scripture, but I will remind you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12, after Solomon had prayed the beautiful prayer of dedication for the temple and the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, came down upon them to where they, the priests couldn't even sing, they couldn't even speak. They fell down because of the presence of God that had come upon the temple when they were dedicating the temple there in Jerusalem. And then God appeared to Solomon and he said this to him in 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have chosen your prayer and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Pestilence would be like a virus or a disease, communicable 
disease that's killing people, God is saying. When I send pestilence among my people, he says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. And so God is giving us the key here. When troubles come, when enemies are at our doorstep, enemies foreign or domestic, when we're dealing with natural disasters or food shortages, or we're dealing with pestilence or plagues or diseases, what should our response be? Our response should be to seek God like never before, humbling ourselves before the Lord. This is for, for God's people. He says, if my people who are called by my name, today that's us. We're the Christians. We're called by his name. His name is Christ, Jesus Christ. We're called Christians, little Christ or Christ one or follower of Christ. He's put his name upon us, even as Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, we're God's people and God put his name upon them. El, Israel, governed by God. We are God's people who are called by his name today. And, and God says, if my people, that's you and me, who are called by my name, Jesus Christ, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So are we humbling ourselves truly before God? Are we? I mean, really, the question is to you and me. Am I humbling myself before God? Are you humbling yourself before God? You can't expect someone else to do this for you. You can't expect that some priest or some pastor is going to be able to, you know, pray and fast and, and, and change everything because one pastor is praying. We need the, the children of God, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ to take this charge seriously more now than ever before. I've prayed many times at the National Day of Prayer events where there's hundreds of people and lots of political leaders and all the rest. I used to pray every year up in Tehachapi for the city of Tehachapi for the National Day of Prayer, the big prayer breakfast and all the rest. And, and we would read this verse very often about God's people, that this is a charge to us. But it's, it's now more important than ever before in our history, guys, that we take this charge and admonition from the Lord seriously. Do we understand what is at stake? Have you listened to the series uh, the Great Reset that I taught? Do you know what they are planning to do to our country? They're going, the European World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, they are going to take America down. They're working with the Chinese. This is an orchestrated effort to bring America to its knees because we are a Christian nation. We are, we are a nation of freedoms, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of the exercise of religion, and they don't want that. They want to take America down economically so that they can take America down politically and militarily so that Europe will rise up as the Bible predicted would be the case in the last days, the revival of the Roman Empire so that the Antichrist, the devil's man, could take over the government of this world. We are very late. The hour is late. The days are dark. And we need to wake up and realize that we are God's people, that we have to humble ourselves and seek the Lord. We have to pray. We have to fast. And we have to examine our ways and turn from our wicked ways because sin separates us from God. God is holy. God is righteous. 
And so if you and I are living in open rebellion against God, wickedness and sin, the things that God hates and the things that God forbids, and we are living that way in our lives, on our day-to-day life, practicing these sins, we are going to have separation between us and God. We're not going to have intimate fellowship with God if we're living in willful disobedience. That's called rebellion. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Insubordination is as iniquity. Now, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, Paul the Apostle finds a, uh, a, a New Testament application to what we're reading about uh, in Isaiah 22, about eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The fatalistic attitude, which we're not to have. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31 says this, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Jesus Christ our Lord, I die daily, he says. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Yes, we are under grace, but it's not grace as a license to sin. It is grace so that we can be free from the bondage of sin. Why would we want to continue in those things that destroyed our lives before we were saved, now that we are saved? It's total hypocrisy. You know, the carnal Christian, that very phrase is an oxymoron. It is a contradiction. There really is no such thing as a carnal Christian. They're opposites. A Christian is someone who is no longer living for themselves, but living for Jesus Christ. We must understand that we are in a spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual battle, and and we need spiritual weapons. And we need to fight this with our spiritual weapons, not just the physical weapons that we see. Uh, Although we need to vote, and although we need to speak, and we need to uh, participate in our uh, political process and all the rest, and, you know, we all have a Second Amendment guarantee to defend ourselves and our property and all these things. And, and so you need to take care of yourself and your family, obviously. But there's a big, bigger battle that we can't use physical weapons to fight or, or physical protections. We need spiritual weapons. We need spiritual armor. And the, and the safest thing for us to do, guys, is to run to God, to run to Jesus in our time of trouble, to cry out to him. He has mercy upon his people. Just study the scriptures. He's so patient with us. He's so merciful to us. He's always willing to forgive us and to pick us back up on our feet. A righteous man falls seven times and gets back on his feet again. Uh, The Bible says the Lord will dust you off and clean you up and put you back together, but you have to turn to him. We have to stick close to Jesus now more than ever before because the days are dark and I think the days are going to get much darker. We read in 2 Corinthians and chapter 10, Paul is telling us that we are in a spiritual battle. We read this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God 
for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And so Paul the Apostle is, is giving us wisdom here. He's, he's telling us truth through the Holy Spirit. Though we are living in this flesh, we're walking in this flesh, we live in a fleshly body, we're not warring according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts it itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's a battle for our minds, he's saying. This is a battle for your mind. This is your, your thought realm because what you think, your ideas, your thoughts become your opinions. Your opinions you share with others, they become your words. And then your words impact and influence other people. And so he's saying guard your minds when you have wicked thoughts or wicked ideas that come in or godless thoughts that come in or things that are contrary to the word of God coming into your mind through the media, through social media, through the television, through the radio, through the movies that you're watching. You have to guard your mind because those words get into you and they begin to affect your thinking. And so many Christians are not spending enough time in the word of God and so they don't know how to test the spirits to see whether they are of God. They don't even know how to test their thought life to know whether this thought is of God or not because they don't know God's word because they haven't invested the time to learn the word of God. And so this is our, uh, this is our spiritual um, victory. This is our, these are our spiritual weapons. The, these, are, these are how we are victorious over the strongholds, the demonic realm that is a attacking us right now. We must take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So if I have a thought and I know it's wrong and I know it's not of God, I don't let that plant a seed in my heart. I don't dwell on it. I don't consider it. I, I, I want to get rid of it. I want to remove it and throw it down in the name of Jesus. And so you have to take authority over your own mind, over your own uh, thought life. Again, this is a battle for our minds. Who are you listening to? Be very careful when you're online listening to people talk because you don't even know, number one, if what they're saying is true. Unless you do a whole bunch of research or you really take the time to investigate things, you, you need to know what you're reading or you're listening to or who you're listening to is true. Uh, and, and you need to be very, very careful whose voice you are listening to and then whose voices you are obeying. And so we have to always filter everything through the Word of God. When the Word of God speaks, will we listen? Will we, will we hear? Are we those who are desiring to hear from the Lord? You see, that's up to you and me. That's your choice. That's my choice. But we would be wise to listen to the voice of God. He is our covering. He is our strong tower. He is our very present help in time of need. In Psalm chapter 18 and verse 1, David says this, the psalmist, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. 
You see, David understood when he had many enemies that he couldn't even trust man because man would betray him. He only could trust God. And as he was struggling and as he was fleeing King Saul and he was dealing with all of these enemies everywhere he went and betrayals and so forth, he knew that his rock and his fortress and his deliverer was his God. He says, my God, my strength in whom I trust, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. He said in verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Are we crying out to God right now, guys? Are we seeking him like never before? We sure ought to be. If you realize how dangerous the, the, the hour is, how late the hour is, you, you would be on your face before God because uh, things are, are, are about to get very, very uh, difficult for our country, I believe, starting next week. And we just need to be prepared. We can't be shaken by whatever happens. God is on the throne. He's in charge. And we're his people. And he will listen to us if we cry out to him. But if we take that fatalistic attitude, like they were in Judah, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. What good is it going to do if we pray? Let's just party down while we you know, see the world coming to an end. Well, then you're going to get what you are asking for. You want fatalism and kesarasara, then you're going to get fatalism. He says in Psalm 16 and verse 7, again, David, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. So, so this is the cry of the man of God. This is the cry of the woman of God. And you could pray the Psalms, guys. If you don't know how to pray or what to pray, just grab the Bible and start praying the Scriptures. Uh, it, if you're praying the Scriptures, at least you know that what you're praying is God's will because His Word is His will. And if we pray according to His will, He hears us, Jesus said. And so grab the Scriptures, open the Psalms, and pray the Psalms like a prayer to God. Most of the Psalms are prayers, or they are songs that were sung. In Psalm 27 and verse 1, another Psalm of David, David says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face 
Lord, I will seek. David understood the Lord was his place of refuge. The Lord was a strong tower. He knew the righteous run into the name of the Lord and are saved. David understood this. He couldn't trust man. He couldn't trust the king, King Saul. He couldn't even trust his own family members. Many of them betrayed him. But he could always turn to the Lord. And he says that I will seek the Lord in my time of trouble. He will hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle. He continues here in verse, skipping to verse 13, we read of Psalm 27. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So as we see things coming apart, as we see our economy unraveling, as we see the pressures being put upon us, to forbid our assembling of ourselves together, as we are commanded to do in Hebrews 25, 10, 25, and 26. We're commanded not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and yet we are being ordered by our governor and by our government that we're not allowed to do this. Uh, and so we are facing very interesting times for sure. We have got to be very, very close to the return of Jesus Christ. I firmly believe that. This is the time when we should be seeking the Lord for his covering, for his protection. We should be seeking to abide now more than ever in the love of God. In 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, Paul the Apostle says this. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren... Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to that what is, which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Wonderful exhortation for the church, for us today. If you're wondering what the will of God is for your life right now, read this, study it, pray it, and let the Lord speak to you. For this is the will of God, he says, for those who are his, for those who are his children. We read in Job and chapter 1, I was looking at this a little bit on uh, Wednesday night, about the hedge that God puts around his people to protect us from our enemy, Satan, the devil. We read in Job chapter 1 and verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, 
all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God is showing us a scene of the accuser of the brethren in heaven who accuses the brethren day and night. Revelation chapter 12 tells us Satan is the accuser. He's the liar. He's the murderer. He's the thief. And he is there assaulting this righteous man, Job, who had really no sin that he could pick out. Job was a righteous man. He was perfect in his day, the scriptures say. And, and God was pointing out to him and God was, was bragging on Job. And Satan is saying, yeah, he may be a blameless man. He may be an upright man. He may be a man who fears God and shuns evil. But it's only because you won't let me get to him. You have put a hedge around him. And so that's something for us to understand. God forbid that we should ever leave that place of safety where his hedge is protecting us. It's a place of safety to abide in the love of God and to continue to abide in Christ. But there are those who will depart from the faith, we're told. And once they depart from that place where they're no longer abiding in Christ, that is where they're open targets for the enemy, the roaring lion, the devil, who is walking about the earth seeking whom he may devour. Job didn't do anything to deserve this. This was a test of Job's faith, and it was to show us things really in the heavenly scene, spiritual things that Job didn't understand. God reveals to us here. But the idea is that God puts a hedge around his people. At times he does allow us to be tested, and that testing is to strengthen our faith. In Job chapter 3 and verse 23, We read this, why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? It's, it's a good thing to be hedged in by God. It's a good thing to be hedged uh, in, in the sense that you are within his protective covering. You are abiding uh, in his hedge. And uh, James tells us also in James chapter 1 that sometimes the Lord allows us to be tested for the strengthening of our faith. This is for those who are serving the Lord, those who are walking with the Lord. He says this in James chapter 1 and verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so there are times when we are serving the Lord, when we are doing right and we're not departing from the faith and we're not going after the other gods of this world and we're serving the Lord and the Lord still allows us to be tested, much like Job uh, was allowed to be tested. But that testing proves our faith. That testing refines our faith like fire refines the gold and brings out the impurities so the impurities can be removed. The Lord tests us oftentimes when we're serving him because he wants to show us areas in our lives that he wants to clean up or that he sees that we don't see that he wants to purify in our hearts. But God forbid that we would be those who would just willfully walk away from the place of safety in the Lord. So many times Christians uh, so-called or people that claim to be Christians, uh, they don't abide in Christ. They don't continue in the things of God. They don't continue in fellowship and prayer and in daily devotion and daily study of his word. Uh, they don't have an appetite for the things of God. And so that is a very dangerous place to be because you're no longer abiding uh, in the 
protection and the safety of the Lord when you're going after other things and not seeking God, especially in times of trouble. Back in Job again, in Job chapter 5, Job has a lot to, to say about this. Job chapter 5, verse uh, 8. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime as in the night. Verse 15, but he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, and from their hand, so the poor have hope. And injustice shuts her mouth. And so it's, it's the Lord. We seek him. Even when it's dark. Even when we're groping. He saves the needy from the sword. Do you feel that you're needy for more of the Lord today? If you don't, you really don't understand the days in which we're living. We should need God now more than ever before, guys. And, and, and the Lord is crying out to us. He says in verse 17, Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. So even the righteous sometimes who are abiding in the covering of the Lord, who are still hedged by the Lord, God still allows you to suffer for righteousness' sake. Matter of fact, it's an honor to suffer for righteousness' sake according to the Scriptures. And how happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Remember, God chastens those who are his own. He chastens his own children. He does not chasten the children of the devil. Verse 18, he says, For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. And in war from the power of the sword, you shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. And you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine. And you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. And so even when the Lord is disciplining us, we still have his promises. He will allow us to suffer, but he will also allow us to prevail in the end, David suffered a lot for his own sins and for his own rebellion. And, and yet David is a man after God's own heart because he always turned back to the Lord. No matter what he was facing, no matter what he even brought upon himself by not abiding uh, under the covering of the Lord. But going and doing things like taking another man's wife and having an affair with her and killing her husband, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. Uh, David was a man. He was human, just like you and I. He made mistakes. But David always turned back to God. He always humbled himself and came back to the Lord. And the Lord always met him in his time of greatest need. And that's an example for you and for I when we're dealing with times of uncertainty, adversity, or even the times of the discipline and the chastening of the Lord. In Psalm 51, one of the beautiful psalms that David wrote after God had restored him after falling into sin with Bathsheba, Psalm 32 and 51, were both prayers uh, of repentance 
and, and restoration. We read in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful thing for us as God's people to pray. If you're not living for the Lord or you've been out there living in the world and you're all caught up in the things of this world and you need to come back to God, pray this prayer on your knees. Cry out to God and he will save you. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you and he will wash you white as snow. Notice that David says, the bones which you have broken rejoice. And this was something that a shepherd would understand. Remember, David was a shepherd before he was a king. And what they would do is they would take a little wandering lamb who kept running off from the pack and running off from the flock. And that shepherd would actually break the little lamb's leg. Because it was running off, it's going to get eaten by wolves. It's going to go and drink from polluted pools of water. Or go and eat things that are poisonous that would kill it. Because it didn't know any better and it wasn't following the shepherd. It wasn't sticking with the other sheep who were close to the shepherd. And so the shepherd would take the little lamb and break its little leg so that it couldn't run away anymore. And it would carry. You've seen the picture of Jesus carrying the lamb on his shoulder. That's what that is symbolizing. The, the lamb on the shoulders of the shepherd carrying the little lamb everywhere he went because the lamb couldn't walk anymore because the lamb was always running away, getting into trouble. And that lamb would grow closer to the shepherd than any of the other lambs. It would grow up to be like a pet to that shepherd. But it was the one that was always wandering off, always getting into trouble. David was seeing himself in that way that God had to break him. God had to break him to keep him humble and to keep him close to the shepherd, he says, the bones which you have broken rejoice. In verse 9, he says, hide, my face from my, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Here it is. The sacrifices of God or a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. This is always the answer for the child of God when we're dealing with times of trouble, is to humble ourselves and seek the Lord. 
you know, we're supposed to uh, confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But if we don't like analyze ourselves or examine ourselves or we don't think we're sinning, then we're deceiving ourselves. And oftentimes that's how the enemy can get in and lead us astray as we begin to tolerate sin in our lives. If we judge ourselves, we would not be judged, Paul the Apostle told the church in Corinth. We're to examine ourselves and we are to confess our sins to the Lord. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord is always there, guys, when we cry out to him. He's always there. He just wants us to stick close to the shepherd. He wants us to run to him. He wants us to find our place of, of security and safety under his covering. Job chapter 13 and verse 15. Job knew a lot about suffering. He says, though you slay me, or though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Job never denied God. Job never blamed God. He never really understood what was going on. He was a righteous man. He lost everything. He suffered greatly. He didn't really deserve to suffer in this way. God allowed it, obviously. God preserved him. God blessed him at the end. Blessed him with twice that which he had lost. But at one point, Job says, though he slay me, Yet I will trust in him. So no matter what we face, guys, next week or this year or in the next five years or by 2030 when their agenda 2030 is supposed to be, uh, you know, in place here on the earth, um, we will always trust in the Lord. He is our good shepherd. He's the one who lays down his life for the sheep. We read in John chapter 10 about Jesus. This is all about Jesus Guys, always comes back to Jesus. In John chapter 10 and verse 7, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. And all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Here he's saying he's the door. He's the only way to be saved. He says he'll go out, in and out, and find pasture. Verse 10 of John 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what the devil does. He steals, he kills, he destroys. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's an accuser of the brethren. He says, a thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and I am known by my own. And as the father knows me, even so I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The safest place for the sheep to be is right there by the side of the shepherd, guys. That's where we should seek to be closer to Jesus now than ever before because he's a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. 
He's, he's not like the hireling. He's not like the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus gave all in order to purchase us as his people by his blood on the cross of Calvary. And you all know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Speaking of Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why could David say that? Because he was sticking close to the shepherd, the good shepherd. He'll take you all the way through to the end, all the way through to heaven. At the end of this life, when you take your last breath, it's not death. Then eternal life really begins because you depart from this world, this fallen body, this sin-stained place where we all live. And we are now free to be with our good shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If you feel like you're being pruned today, that's a good thing. If God is pruning away the things of the flesh, pruning away the things of the world, even though it may be painful, it's so that God can make you more fruitful for him. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me... He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you prove to be my disciples. Abide in Jesus. He's the answer. Abide in his word. Allow his word to be the final authority of your life, of what you do and what you don't do, what you say and what you don't say, what you watch or what you refuse to watch. You have to guard your minds, guard your ears, guard your eyes and guard your hearts in these days of wickedness. Man has never had so much access to evil and wickedness and perversion and violence and blood and death as we do through the media in our world today. And it's really an experiment upon a human race that's never been experimented upon in this way through all of human history. Where people are sitting in front of media, watching and hearing things that are just filling their minds with trash, with filth, with rot. And we have to guard our minds and guard our hearts and test everything by his word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's the key. Are you abiding in the word of God? Are you allowing the word of God to be your judge? 
Verse 9 says this, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Remember, there's only two commandments that we have as Christians. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus says that sums up the Ten Commandments, all the law and all the prophets are summed up in this. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you've done this, you've kept the whole law. And so these are the commandments that Jesus gives his people. If you keep my commandments, love God, put him first, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, then you abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you that you love one another over and over and over again. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. That's how you abide in Christ. Put others first ahead of yourself. Satan comes and says, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. It's the first commandment in the satanic Bible from the church of Satan founded by Anton LaVey up in San Francisco. People today will say, well, Satanism isn't about offering human sacrifice or animal sacrifice. It's just about atheists getting together and mocking God. Not true. Satanists do offer human sacrifice. They do offer animal sacrifice because there's life and there's power in the blood. And Satan knows this. And Satan says, you know what? There's no rules. Just do whatever you want. And that'll be the whole of the law. God says, no, you do my will. Jesus says, not my will, but thy will be done. He taught us to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done. Satan lies to us and tells us we could all do our own thing and, and, and it'll be great. No, if we all do our own thing, we're going to kill each other. When every man does what's right in his own eyes and there's no law, it's a very dangerous society because the wickedness of man, the depravity of man is unbelievable. Look at the, you know, Charles Manson or look at uh, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. These were Satanists. They killed people. They spilled blood. They drank blood, some of them. So it is, it is a very real thing, guys. Satan is, is, is screaming to our culture, you know, you don't have to follow God. You don't have to listen to God. You don't have to obey God. Just do whatever you feel like doing, and it's all going to be fine. It is a lie from the pit of hell. We cannot do whatever we want and think it's all going to be okay. We have to surrender and submit ourselves to God and to his word. We must abide in his love, in his word, in his presence we must be living sacrifices for the Lord. Not my will, but thy will be done should be our prayer. I just plead with you guys this week, be in prayer, especially for what's coming on Wednesday, because there, there, there's a lot of chatter that, that things are going to go down on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, that might be uh, very un 
unexperienced from us before. We've never experienced this. Things we haven't seen in our lifetime before with our nation. Potential riots and rebellions and, and, and unrest and, and so forth. Civil unrest and so we don't want to be afraid. We want to just put the Lord first, continue to seek God, continue to stick closely to the good shepherd, and he will see us through all the way to the end. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shall we pray? And Lord, we do humble ourselves before you, Lord. We ask for your mercy. We cry out to you for mercy, Lord. We cry out to you for grace, Lord. We cry out to you for forgiveness, Lord, for we are a sinful people. We acknowledge our sin before you, Lord, for you are righteous, you are holy, and you are perfect. We thank you, Father, for sending your only begotten Son into this world to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price for our sins, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to take our place. You said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You went to the cross despising the shame for the joy that was set before you, Jesus. And now you are seated evermore at the right hand of the Father, the seat of power. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. May we be those who declare today that Jesus Christ is our Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we be those who glorify you in our lives, Lord, with our words and our actions this day, Lord. Please, Father, strengthen us. Lord, give us your words for others that are doubting or that are hurting or that are fearful, Lord. May we be those who will not be shaken no matter what comes our way, Lord. May we have unshakable faith in you because you are our victor. You have conquered sin and hell and death. And we are in you and you are in us. Lord, may your peace abide in us this week, we pray. Teach us how to pray more effectively. In Jesus' name, amen. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California.